Hello and welcome. You are listening to Anjali Vision, a monthly podcast hosted by me, Anjali Misra, a Chicago-based freelance writer and community organizer and general pop culture trivia savant. Every episode, I offer my best analysis of current shows across multiple platforms and genres, and I also interview a guest expert on their favorite TV show or current obsession. Come for the intersectional feminist critiques of popular media. Stay for the surprisingly deep conversations with folks from a variety of backgrounds about what they love or hate to watch. What's up, listeners? Welcome to episode five of Anjali Vision. Just another great episode for you this episode. My guest is a dear friend, Chicago-based philanthropy professional, community organizer, man about town, Mark Anthony Florido. And Mark Anthony is joining me to talk about his love-hate relationship with reality dating shows. He's watched a lot of them, certainly more so than myself. So really an expert, I would say. Such a great conversation. Mark Anthony, super smart, also super funny. It was just a pleasure to have him on the pod. But before we dive into that interview, just wanted to catch everyone up with my personal recommendations for what to watch, what not to watch, fun stuff in the Anjali-verse. Speaking of the Anjali-verse, if you're like me, you saw Across the Spider-Verse and were left stricken at the cliffhanger ending, was not aware that this film was the only part one of <laughs> multiple parts. Loved the movie like much of the world. However, I was left wanting more from the Spider-Verse. This little segment here is some recommendations for some shows to watch featuring performers, voice actors from across the Spider-Verse. This is by no means a comprehensive list. This is just shows within the Anjali-Verse. Shows that I happened to enjoy quite a bit that a lot of these performers were in. So let's get to it. And I'll start with some Donald Glover content that I would recommend. Some of you might already know that Donald Glover plays one of the iterations of the character Aaron Davis, a.k.a the prowler in the spider-man franchise he's obviously very well known for being co-creator producer writer star (laughs) co-star of the fx series atlanta if you haven't already watched atlanta it was a four season series that followed a atlanta based up-and-coming rapper And his cousin who ends up being his manager and then their friend as they are navigating like the indie hip-hop scene in Atlanta and also just like navigating their own lives. And it's at times surreal, hilarious, absurd, poignant, dramatic. 
super reflective of the times and society in which we live. Also stars Lakeith Stanfield, Brian Terry Henry, Zazie Beetz, tons of incredible guest stars throughout the seasons. Can't recommend Atlanta enough. Can't mention Donald Glover without mentioning the network show that kind of launched his career, which was the show Community in the cool turn of events. I know some people have heard this story, but I feel like it bears mentioning that there was like an online petition for Donald Glover to play Spider-Man like years and years ago while he was still on Community. There's an episode of Community where he's wearing like Spider-Man pajamas and that instance is what inspired the Marvel comic book writer who launched the Miles Morales Spider-Man series like that is what inspired Miles Morales was Donald Glover wearing the Spider-Man pajamas on the show Community which I think is just like such a great story and then things come full circle when he gets to play Aaron Davis in Spider-Man Homecoming and then has a cameo as one of the iterations of the Prowler in Across the Spider-Verse. And yeah, Community itself is just like a very like irreverent, funny show. Tons of controversy surrounding the creator Dan Harmon, unfortunately, and also Chevy Chase, who was on the show for a couple seasons. I guess I count it as one of my problematic faves because I still think... Some of the episodes definitely hold up. I know Donald Glover got to write some of his own episodes or some of his own lines as his character, Troy. The chemistry dynamic between him and Danny Pudi, who plays his best friend on the show, Abed, just still is such a treat to watch. (laughs) Gonna go ahead and throw my recommendation in for Community as well. Okay, moving right along to Haley Steinfeld content. Haley plays or is the voice of Ghost Spider, aka one of the uh, multiverses Gwen Stacy's in Across the Spider-Verse. Another sort of weird Marvel connection is that uh, Haley Steinfeld also is a character in the Hawkeye Marvel Cinematic Universe series on Disney+. Plus. I'm going to go ahead and not recommend that anyone watches that show. It's just okay. You know, at this point, the the MCU is doing too much. It's doing too much. There are too many shows. It's too much content. Please, God, save us from all of the Marvel content. Except the comic books, because, listen, I am a diehard comic book fan. All of that aside... I will recommend the Apple TV series Dickinson, starring Haley Steinfeld. She plays a young Emily Dickinson, and this is the queerest show ever. It's so great. It basically follows Emily Dickinson's presumed young love with her best friend, while she is also growing her poetry skills into the prolific poet that we now know from antiquity today. 
All right, going going down the character list, Issa Rae, who plays Spider-Woman. We love Issa Rae. I've loved Issa Rae since her web series, Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl Days. Watching on my laptop between grad school seminars at the student center with headphones on. Yeah, have loved Issa Rae for many a year, more than a decade. <laughs> and so, yeah, have to absolutely plug Insecure, her long-running HBO series, which she co-wrote co-produce, co-created, stars in. Just watch it. It's so good. Right on down the list, Brian Tari Henry, who plays uh, Miles Morales's dad in Across the Spider-Verse. I mentioned before, he is one of the co-stars of Atlanta. Folks might also recognize him from his popular film career. Just such a diverse actor. He also has a stage career. He sings. He's very handsome. I don't know what else to say about Brian Tari Henry. He's incredible. Watch everything he's ever been in. Oh, here's a fun one. Jason Schwartzman, who plays The Spot, aka, I guess you could call him the primary villain of those this Across the Spider-Verse movie. Jason Schwartzman, also someone who has been in so many films and very few TV shows. He's had guest spots on TV shows. He had a failed Fox TV sitcom pilot that came out more than a decade ago. I think it was called Cracked. I tried to watch it as a young person. Even then I knew it was bad. But I feel like he redeemed himself by playing a Italian mobster in the fourth season of Fargo. Super incredible season. Some folks know that the FX series Fargo ended up being an anthology series based off of the very popular Coen Brothers film, loosely based off of the Coen Brothers <laughs> film Fargo, at least every season following the second season. It ended up being an anthology series about like ripped from the headlines slash historical true crime with like a very personal twist you get to know the characters really intimately. There's definitely some very dark humor, which absolutely was inspired by the Coen brothers' work. Tons of stars have been in the Fargo series over the years, but in season four, it really focuses on specifically the era of 1950s Midwest organized crime. And so a lot of these mafiosos and organized crime syndicates across Milwaukee, Chicago, Kansas City, Missouri, Detroit, Michigan, Cincinnati, Ohio, and like the very real ways that thrived at that time, but obviously fictionalized. Jason Schwartzman's in that season. Chris Rock plays a mob boss. Gosh, who else is in that season? So many folks. Oh, Andrew Bird plays a funeral home director. <laughs> so yeah, just a real interesting series. Everyone does a great job. It's my favorite season of all time of Fargo. Another fun fact, a lot of it was filmed here in Chicago. Uh, and some of it filmed just up the street from me in the Rogers Park neighborhood. So that was fun. Um, oh, as well as Uptown. Very cool stuff. Okay, another spider person actor I want to hype is Garansoni, who plays 
Indian Spider-Man, a.k.a. Pavitra Prabhakar. Ah, Karansoni, just such a gem of a performer. Folks will also recognize him as Dopinder from the Deadpool movies. And in terms of his TV career, he is a main part of the ensemble cast of the FX slash TBS anthology series Miracle Workers, which starting in 2019, it has aired for three seasons and the fourth season is airing this year. Also starring Geraldine Viswanathan, Daniel Radcliffe, our boy Harry Potter, Steve Buscemi, come on, all stars, Lalia Defope, oh my god, just MVPs on this show. And yeah, Caranzoni is absolutely one of them. I've only watched the first season. I have every intention of watching later seasons because it's just such a good show. At least uh, the first season of the anthology is about God and his angels who are trying to prevent an apocalypse from happening by making two people fall in love. And then subsequent seasons totally go off into other universes, other stories, uh, but with the same actors, which is fun and cool and exciting. Um, And yeah, check that out if you're like me, very into anthology shows and great performers and ensemble casts. A little known series, I think, it didn't get a lot of hype, but I really enjoyed it. Karen Sony is on an episode of this, I would call it heightened Twilight Zone. It's called Room 104 on HBO slash Max. And every episode tells a story from a different time period, but in the same hotel room, Room 104. And all the people who have ever stayed in that room and the myriad experiences they've had. From one episode to the next, you could be watching like a horror story, a romance, a comedy, a sci-fi show, a music video, a dance sequence. Really just like such a unique, creative approach to storytelling. Believe it or not, I found it very refreshing to not know what to expect every episode. Karen Sony's episode is in the first season, and it's so special and so wonderful. And I think it was one of his earlier premium TV show roles in his career. And he just knocks it out of the park. And you can tell from there that he's going to be a great performer. Four seasons of Miracle Workers later, three Deadpool movies, as well as now being one of the spider people he has only upwards to go as well as a slew of other indie films that he's been in caranzoni you're probably not listening to this but if you are i love you so much and i wish only the best for you (laughs) and lastly i can't end things without celebrating uh, probably one of my favorite people of all time mahershala ali Mahershala Ali plays um, yet another iteration of Aaron Davis, a.k.a. The Prowler, in the um, Spider-Man slash Miles Morales cinematic franchise. Here's an example of another performer who turns everything he touches into pure, solid gold. Mahershala Ali has a prolific 
film and television career. God, I just love him so much. I'm not going to enumerate all of his roles. So the three, not sleeper hits, but like lesser known, I think less celebrated of his many roles that I want to hype. And I'll start with his role as the imam of a New Jersey mosque in, I think it's the third season of Rami on FX. Just brilliant. Rami, the show, is also incredible. It won a couple, I believe, Golden Globes just for like the writing and great show. Loosely based off of the life of Rami Youssef, the young comedian, writer, performer. He also obviously stars in it. It's about an Egyptian American family in New Jersey and focuses on the son, Rami. And I would say like his misadventures as a young man. Mahershala Ali as the imam of the mosque that Rami ends up attending in one of the later seasons. He's so good because I think it's a great example of Ali's range and like his uh, ability to have a very sobering presence on screen in, in any character he embodies, but then super lighthearted and funny. The man has range. I don't need to tell anybody this because he is very much lauded in Hollywood and sought after. Another, I guess, less celebrated performance of his is on the third season of True Detective. He has a starring role as a detective who ends up working on and being haunted by this decades-long missing person, missing children case. And so he ends up, over the course of the series, playing a version of this character in his 30s and then a version of this character in like his like 50s and then a version of of that same character in his 70s and 80s who's struggling with dementia and memory loss and all the while we're following this missing person's case that has haunted him essentially true detective in general we don't speak about the second season everyone universally hates it but <laughs> the first and third season were exceptional and of course Mahershala Ali has a huge role to play in making the third season as successful as it was and then lastly I will plug just something very unexpected which was I believe his first starring role as a part of a ensemble cast on the TBS series The 4400. I know that there's been a reboot in recent years of The 4400. The original came out, I want to say 12 years ago. And so very young Mahershala Ali plays a Vietnam War vet who who goes missing under mysterious circumstances and then returns with 4400 other people from different times who had disappeared over, you know, the course of 50 years at different ages at different times in different locations they all reappear at the same time one day in the outskirts of seattle washington sort of a weird tv show premise but it worked y'all it worked i was gripped i was enraptured <laughs> it was a really interesting show and it ended up being like a super satisfying ending surprisingly just a well done series and like I said 
Mahershala Ali's performance was exceptional. Really was one of those things of like, oh yeah, this guy is going to be going places. All right, my friends, this is where we step out of the Anjali-verse. Of course, I didn't mention a whole bunch of other actors featured in Across the Spider-Verse, but I just wanted to highlight the folks who I love. And with that, let's dive right into my interview with Mark Anthony about reality dating shows. Okay, Mark Anthony, thank you so much for being on the podcast to talk about a, not only like a show that I'm not super familiar with, but like an, honestly, an entire genre I'm not familiar with, only because self-selected, like I just am very hesitant around like not only dating shows, but like reality TV shows competition shows the like awkward factor is too much for me although I like completely acknowledge that these types of series are wildly popular and to start I know you wanted to talk about love is blind so is is it that's the big question (laughs) right that is the question that this tv show seeks out is love blind Can you, like, give me a synopsis of this show? What is the premise? What is the, like, foundational, you know, idea? So Love is Blind, when it first was coming out, was billed as this antidote to modern dating apps. The whole swipe culture based on looks. And when it was first coming out, it was billed as a way to correct that kind of social norms that have come about. So the basic premise of this show is that 15 men and women from the same kind of metropolitan area come together to answer the question, is love blind? So for about a week and a half, they are split by gender and enter into what is known as the pods. So they're literally just rooms that have an adjacent room next to them. And between the two rooms that are connected, is this like weird purple wall where you can't see the other person, but only hear their voice. These 15 men and women basically take turns throughout the course of these 10 days, dating each other in these pods through a wall. At the beginning, it's like speed dating, but then as people start to pair up and find connections, they can choose to have longer dates and have the producers like, oh, give us a blanket and some popcorn or give us cupcakes to like have dates in the pods. And then the whole thing is the only way to leave the pause is a couple as if one of them proposes to the other person, asks their hand for marriage. And so the big glorious thing is if they both say yes, they finally get to see each other in person. And then they are whisked away on another like week and a half, basically like honeymoon where they like, in Mexico with the other couples that have emerged from the pods. And they have the chance to be intimate. They had this spiritual connection. Now they're going to try to have a physical connection. And then they leave paradise to go back to the real world where they live together and experience it. And so the whole show culminates in basically their weddings and whether or not they both say yes at the altar. Wow. Okay. Thank you for that breakdown. Just strikes me as super high stakes. <laughs> oh, for sure. Before I started recording, I had mentioned to you my shock about the fact that 
this show has gone on for four seasons. People continue to put themselves through this <laughs> for four seasons. And it has like iterations in other countries. Like there's Love is Blind Brazil, Japan. You know, again, as someone who has watched the series, what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think one, let's put this into context. The first season came out in March of 2020. Oh. We were starting just to quarantine, <laughs> like be stuck at home. Or like we were just like working from home because I remember having conversations with my coworkers about this and then suddenly we were all remote. But I think as like a queer, brown, like fat person to have these like mostly white people, young people, straight folks, try to find love and marriage so quickly is like just, there's something morbidly fascinating about it, right? Like. Why do they want to get married so bad that they want to go on this weird psychological trip and expose their world to the world, right? I will say, I think the first season was like a true experiment. And then it's just gotten off the rails since then, every season. So I think there's just like this morbid fascination of, oh, well, like, what is dating like nowadays? Like, how do people choose partners? Is like physical attraction necessary for long-term relationships? What are the things that these couples are seeking that they're trying to build the relationship on? And so it's just like fascinating to see what people think marriage is. So that's, I think that has the chokehold on me. Also, there's just a lot of drama. You and I are the same age. I think this fulfills like the golden age of VH1 MTV dating shows left after they ended, right? Like this isn't singled out or like next or like even flavor of love. Like it feels that weird, morbid fascination of like weird couplings. And I think it's growing into this empire of that. So yeah, I don't know. It's just like weirdly fascinating. Okay, this is super helpful to hear because I feel like the way that it gets often promoted, like shows like Love is Blind, for example, The Ultimatum, which we talked extensively about on the last episode of this podcast, the way that those shows get advertised is, I don't know, kind of superficial and a little bit insincere. These are people who really are just trying to find love, you guys. It's so hard to find love in this world. And is it, is that really the, that's the plot that you are like predicating your show off of, but hearing you talk about how ultimately like one of the facets of the fascination of these shows is that like folks are making it harder for themselves. You didn't have oh, to go on this show and then agree to marry someone that you've never met in order to find love. Like that was a choice. That brings me to my next question for you, which is like, what aspects of whether it's love is blind or like these dating shows in general, like what aspects do you find most frustrating or like even annoying? Oh yeah, for sure. For billing itself as like a social experiment about whether like love is blind, they still cast pretty traditionally attractive humans, right? There's no one that overweight. No one I don't think would society would deem as like fat or anything like that. They're all pretty heteronormative in their presentation. There are some, which is fascinating. Every season, there's they try to have one couple be like a social commentary about something. So like in the first season, there was a couple in which one of the men disclosed himself as bisexual. And the person that agreed to be his fiance like flipped out 
and she like threw his ring like across the pool and like it became this whole explosive thing but the show didn't do anything with it right it just like, presented to us and it was just like oh that was a thing that happened right or there was one um the season that took place here in chicago uh there was two characters uh of south asian descent deep d and shake and shake was like i've never dated a brown girl before and so they build that as their relationship he was also a deeply flawed character because in one of their earlier dates, he asked Deep T if he could pick her up, as in like weight-wise, because he like traditionally only dated skinny blonde white women. Um, yeah, so it's stuff like that, or there's commentary about does differences in income really make or break a relationship, right? Do do cultural factors, right? We had like several like African males from African families, immigrant families. Were like dating white women right and they were like oh is this gonna fit in and stuff like yeah. that so there was an attempt to have some social commentary and critique but it was so encouched in this like car crash of drama that it felt very forced it felt oh <laughs> this thing is going to shit so we need to create some semblance of or we're like a woke <laughs> tv show in that right wow yeah, yeah. It's disappointing to hear that it sounds like producers, etc., showrunners had an opportunity to take some really relevant and topical issues in the culture and focus in on that and then chose to just present it as is. Yeah, which is like another reason where I'm like, reality shows, get it together. <laughs> I understand that for a lot of people, these types of shows are an escape or not even an escape, but just so, such a departure from like our own lived experiences. And also, like you mentioned, hyperbolized, right? The folks who get focused on don't look like us, don't live the same lifestyle as us, are from different classes as us. It's just still super disappointing to hear that like when given the opportunity, to have some sort of relevance or have some sort of connection to the audience's lived experiences, they have let that opportunity fall away. But which also makes me wonder, why do people still want, you know, like, why then has it gone on for so many seasons? What is the draw beyond watching the train wreck? For me, I think it's because it's a train wreck, right? I think, at least for me, I'm speaking from my own experience. I watch a lot of the show and be like, oh, at least I'm not like that person, right? Like, at yeah. least my relationships aren't as toxic as that. Or at least sure. I'm not making dumb decisions like that person is, right? Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it's also, as a queer person, to be like, man, the straights, they're not okay. They are operating on some other thing that I just don't understand. Yeah. And I think it's just like a fascinating kind of like study on what people think relationships are. Right. And I think particularly with like the Chicago season, you and I being based in Chicago, like I've seen some of these people just like walking around and you'd be like, oh, they're not like some weird group of people. They're literally like neighbors. <laughs> like that, yeah. that, those people could have been the person living across from me. And so there's this like fascination about, oh, there's these people exist. Right. Yeah. And these people this is what they actually think about love and this is how they communicate. And it's just so different from what I understand to be love and to what relationship is that I need to watch it. Cause I, I there's just like something about it that I'm like, I need to get to the bottom of this. 
losing the intellectual side, but then there's just the side in me that's just, oh, I'm living for all this drama and chaos and every stupid decision that's made and every like conversation that's about to go down and all the scheming and plotting and all that. Yes, that also exists. But I think there's just like a deep, morbid fascination about what relationships are and what marriage is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a aspect that I don't often think about again, as someone who's not watching these shows, but I do remember I'm thinking back to my early grad school days and reading about the advent of reality TV and just the ways that it's very gendered. It's very classist. It's very racist. Obviously, reality TV is a sort of funhouse mirror of our culture and our society. And it's not a full like reflection of our society. But obviously, it pulls from things that are like relevant at the time. My question for you was, how much do you think current shows such as Love is Blind, such as The Ultimatum, etc., are really punching up these archetypes we have already in society about the chaotic reality TV star, the like demure reality TV star, the black sheep, etc. Like all these archetypes that got built in the early 2000s that now we're so used to. Like how much of it feels authentic? How much of it feels very hyperbolic slash camped up? I do think season one tried to be that experiment, right? Tried to answer this question of, is love blind? Can people really form a connection so hard just by their like their conversations that they've had in these pods? But I think after one season of that, when you're casting for more seasons, you can't get the people who are now genuine about seeking this experiment, right? Yeah. I think after the success of season one <clears throat> and showed, oh, look at all the Instagram followers people get. Look at like the influencer deals they're getting now. Now we're, we're getting the people who want to be that. And as each season has gone on, I feel like it has progressed in the chaos because the people that they're now casting know that this is their ticket to at least some 15 minutes of fame. Oh, right? Damn. Yeah. And so even in the last season, it came out afterwards after it like aired one of the persons on the show was like in previous like dating shows, right? Like, oh. Has been a habitual dating show person, right? And so I think it's just trying to top each other each season. And it, particularly this last scene, there were definitely, oh, like there's the manipulative one. There's the one that's like the villain, like that one's getting a villain edit, right? Or, oh, that's the like kind of couple we're trying to like cheer for. And so we need to create some drama for them to, because it can't be all you know, rosy for them, right? And so I think the show is now becoming a caricature of itself because it has to be. Take, for example, season three. There's a character named Andrew and the producers are super shady for keeping this in. Andrew, like, starts to talk about, I forget what it is. It's like about his life or something or his past dating. And they show him putting fake Visine tears in his eyes to make it look like he was crying, right? Like the producers kept that in. And so you can tell that they're, they even themselves are so self-aware that like they've overly produced this entire thing that like now they're giving us like a peek behind the curtain of look at this dude. Like he's being super fake right now and putting fake tears in his eyes uh, 
but have turned it into like the joke, right? So part of it is like they're leaning in. They know what's bringing in the viewers. People have come out since. They're like, oh, they're keeping us drunk and they're not fetting us enough to like fuel the drama that's happening. Those what? are allegations. We're, we are, those are all pure allegations. And even <clears throat> just the whole like kind of post-season life cycle of all these folks continues to go on, right? Like they've been going on tours. Like the cast has been like going on tours. There have been folks who literally say like they have like a group chat to talk about like how they can capitalize on the money while it's while they're still hot. It's, yeah, it's become this weird cycle of they know what we're there to look at, like producers and the show runners. It went from like social scientists to like social engineering to now pure like circus runners. They've run wow. this gamut of, okay, how are we going to top last season? They only choose to highlight certain amount of couples, right? We know that there are couples that pair up that they don't follow or don't show on the show. If you're just like a boring ass couple, it seems normal. They're not going to put you on it. They want the ones that are going to have drama or have a storyline. And so that keeps us in there. And I, th I think we as a society have invested in this. And every season we're like, oh, this is this got to be the last season. But it's we're addicted, right? We're addicted to the drama. We're addicted to the anxiety. We're addicted to judging these people. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that's how they hook us. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you touched on the fact that so much of it has evolved into social engineering and kind of these accusations of unsubstantiated. We don't know what's real, what's not real. We don't have like verified proof, etc. But I do recall seeing things like in the news, etc. about folks feeling like manipulated to behave a certain way or have a certain reaction based on, you know, the actions of producers, directors of these shows. Yeah, I don't know if you like have more like insight on that or stories on that. Um, just because, yeah, I think it's relevant. I think one of the big things in terms of controversies that came out of it was one of the contestants from, I think, season two filed a lawsuit over inhumane working conditions. And mm. I think the lawsuit includes things like like I was saying earlier about being denied food and water, but being forced to drink or being forced to film while they were drunk and so creating like not a true representation of themselves. But I don't think I don't think that went anywhere. And I don't think it's been backed up. There's folks of people who are like, yes, that absolutely happened. But other people who are like, no, that didn't happen. Like we we weren't forced to do anything. It was made available. Like we still had our freedom. I, I don't know where it lands in terms of like how much of it is like NDAs and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, if you want to continue to be a working performer or a working artist, or if your entree into the industry was like as a reality show contestant and like you did sign this NDA, like what does it mean for you to like then have a like fulfilling career moving forward. Like how much can you even say or how much can you even disclose? And that's a whole nother issue, right? And, or even folks who were like, I did this thing as a one-off opportunity and now I have left that industry. I'm sure it continues to affect their like everyday lives. Also just curious about this sort of 
industry that has bloomed out of this world of online dating slash competitive dating reality TV shows. Something I think we need to dive into is that this show is hosted by Nick Lachey and Vanessa Lachey. And for whatever reason, they are very obsessed with this notion of like traditional marriage. And Vanessa has become like this like stereotype of a person who's obsessed with couples having babies. So at every reunion, she's like, who's going to be the first to have a love is blind baby? We need a love is blind baby. Who's going to give us a love is blind baby? And we're like, oh my God, what, what? is happening? Why ain't she like this? Their hosting of this was so bad that there was a petition started on change.org that almost got 45,000 signatures for them to not be the host anymore. That being said, they are expanding their dating show empire, right? And so they have hosted The Ultimatum, which is a similar show, but different. Nick Lachey also now hosts this show called Perfect Match, mm. uh, which brings together people from Love is Blind, other shows like Too Hot to Handle, The Circle, The Mole, right? So it's like this, they are recreating what I was referring to earlier, this like the MTV generation of back basically when MTV literally just only had 20 people in every show. Yeah. It's recreating that where it's just taking the same 20 stars and putting them into different permutations of a show. Nick Lachey, Vanessa Lachey are just capitalizing on this newfound niche market that they're taking ownership on. I feel like where we find ourselves in this conversation is that love is not blind, A. <laughs> B, this is absolutely a, an industry predicated on all of the things you said, like people's voyeuristic interests, whether innocent or not, <laughs> in like how these individuals operate for lack of a better term, competitors in these competitions, which, Mark Anthony, you have really <laughs> just solidified my feelings of ick about the genre. And I don't know. I would love to watch like a super cut, all of the like highs and lows of a season of Love is Blind and then see where it ends up. I don't know that I could like slog through a full season. It just seems so intense. But that's what that's me. One of the things that I think also keeps drawing people in is that your opinions of people change the longer you watch them on the show. There were definitely people that I was like rooting for. And then they started to do really shitty things on the show. And I was like, oh, you're actually a bad human. And I don't actually like that anymore. Right. And going back to Nick Lachey and Vanessa Lachey, it's also fascinating to hear like how they stir up drama the gossip they bring in nick lachey has shaded jessica simpson multiple times on the show by saying things like second marriages are always the best or second chances are even better than first chances and stuff like that uh and vanessa lachey does loves to create the drama by asking questions at reunions and you can tell she's like picking sides at reunions. so they're literally stirring up shit but billing themselves as like their mentors and guides through this process. Oh my God. So, yeah. In terms of the Lachey dating cinematic universe, Love is Blind is the Iron Man, 
right? They have set the stage for future iterations and future crossovers. I'm waiting for the the Infinity War, the Avengers team up of the Lachey's dating cinematic universe. And I think it's coming soon because they're like reaching this boiling point of all these different shows coming together. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that brings us to my final question for you, which is like, what are your predictions? What are your hopes, dreams, um, nightmares <laughs> for future iterations of this universe? Yeah. Yeah. I think as we heard in your previous episodes, they've ventured into queer world and I am both so excited <laughs> but also so ashamed of our community at the same time. But same I, cannot wait. I cannot wait for more. Queer Ultimatum was just a trip. It was just too much. Everything was too much. What I think we're getting now is, I think Queer Ultimatum is showing that we're now becoming a parody of what healthy relationships are, right? Like, I think one of my big critiques of Queer Ultimatum was that now they have people who have the language to talk about what healthy relationships are. They have the vocabulary of someone who like goes to therapy and engages in healthy boundary setting and stuff like that, but they are still super toxic, right? And so I think we're going to see more of that in some of the shows. That being said, season five is happening, happening I think, in September of Love is Blind. So we'll see where it com- what, we, what comes of it. Oh my goodness. Ah, the drama. Any any sort of like final thoughts, final questions, anything else you want to share? As I think about Love is Blind and through our conversation today, I just, I don't know what it says about society where we like to see relationships fail. Some of these folks are doing really toxic things to each other and we love to see the drama. We love to see these like, young folks who are trying to find a marriage to be in sometimes fail spectacularly or create drama or take steps that are very antithetical to like what that is. Right. And I think the producers are picking up on it because the last few seasons they've had family members really be vocal about like, why did you do this process? (laughs) Or including more family members being critical of the whole process and not accepting the marriages. I'm, Fascinating to see where that goes in terms of the, what season five is going to bring, but also what new thing can they bring to the show to keep us engaged? Is it just going to be more drama? Yeah. Are there going to be like new storylines? Love is Blind is a train wreck, but we can't look away. It has sucked our collective imagination. And for whatever reason, we know it's not good for us, but we love to see other people do worse than us. And that's what keeps coming us back. It's like a confidence boost to be like, I'm actually doing pretty okay. I'm fine being single. I don't need that in my life. Thank you so much. As a single person, more power to us. The biggest (laughs) takeaway I've taken from Love is Blind is that single people made the right choice. (laughs) (laughs) We're okay. We're okay. The kids are okay. The kids are all right. (laughs) The kids are all right. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening. I've been your host, Anjali Misra. 
Uh, this episode of Anjali Vision was edited by Audrey Cornell, and Anjali Vision is a part of the Trident Network. To learn more about our videos, live shows, and other great podcasts, please visit thetridentnetwork.com. And thanks again to my guest, Mark Anthony Florido. All right, see y'all next time.